101.3 FM. This is Fine Music Radio. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon introducing you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, in celebration of Women's Month this month, the Abramsa and Mayer production presents the world premiere of an award-winning South African writer, actress, and visual artist, Sue Pam Grant's latest one-woman play, Why Do Moths Fly Like Crazy? If... Chaos in the Night. It's described as a visceral contemporary portrait for the stage, inspired by the life and work of Louis Bourgeois, one of the most prolific and fascinating visual artists of the 20th century, and profoundly explores the creative process and spirit. It's described as a tour de force with the multifaceted actress who's my guest, Sue Pam Grant. Sue, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Wow, that is a very lovely introduction. introduction. Thank you. Well, let me I'm tell you that be here. you've made your title of your play very difficult because if we say that word with the F, mm. we'll get into terrible trouble, mm. which is why I said we're going to have to say F dot 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 <laughs> KS. Anyway, that's what it's called. <laughs> why do moths fly like crazy dot 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 in the night? So, Sue, first of all, I'd like to ask you, so you've given us this difficult title to, to <laughs> announce, but what is it? It's quite a, it's quite a provocative title. Mm. And also with the life and work of Louis Bourgeois. What is this play all about? Let's start there. Wow. I know. Okay. I thought you would say that. Yeah, it's a hard one. You know what, Rodney? I'm going to actually read you a, an artist statement because that covers um, everything mm-hmm. and it's it allows me to be cognizant and articulate okay. because if I had to sort of just suddenly try and you know explain a very complex work um, I might not get everything I want to say so I just want to read a little bit of it and um, let me see if I can find it and that's the question it's interesting uh, Sue, that you say it's complex because, I mean, you put it all together, didn't you? I mean, it's entirely your work, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. It's it something is, you've it, created. It is. I've written it. I perform in it. I have um, created the installation that is the set mm-hmm. and um, that is the encounter. Um, and I have and I perform in it and I live it and breathe it and... <laughs> Everything else that goes with the human condition, I dream it. It's something that I think I've been with for a long, long time, mm-hmm. um, fascinated um, and drawn to the work of Louise Bourgeois. In 2019, well, actually, I started my, my Master's in Fine Art at WITS in 2019, and in 2021, I graduated with mm-hmm. the distinction and I was particularly looking at her work in relation to my work and the way we work in a very particular way in terms of the artist process and how as women artists we use our subjecthood as our material. Okay, so, so can I ask you just mm, in the midst of all that, did you write this specifically for Women's Month 
for for a women's celebration? Not at all, not at all. Okay, I mean, it just okay. it was uh, it was coincidence. beautifully coincidental. Mm. Yeah, it's the perfect way, isn't it, to launch a play like that in Women's Month? Amazing, t- amazing mm-hmm. timing, and actually, you know, um, Fred, when he said, "Okay, we're gonna we we're doing this in in August," I mean, even then, it was. I think it was April or May, mm-hmm. um, because the writing of this was very fast. It was, sort of was written in three days. Wow! So, so which is a very strange way because, it's a, as I say, it's a complex work. It's it's got theory. It's 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 got um, it's it doesn't have a linear narrative. It's it's associative writing. It's very poetic. And it's also very physical, isn't it? Um, well, it is physical because it's so. Exhausting to have to, you know, there's not one moment of breath. There's no sort of like somebody else taking over the dialogue or because it's a train of thought. Mm-hmm. So it's an interior, you could say, it's not even an, it's an interior um, world that is being expressed inside the studio, inside this artist. Uh, what I like about it, it says here, Spoken drawing. That's what that, I. That little, that's the that best. To me. Yes, that's the best way I could um, describe it. Suddenly, I was on a plane to Joburg, and I had my text in my book, and I was learning, starting to learn the lines, learning this text because it was such a difficult text <laughs> to learn. Like, why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> at the age of sixty, why do I do it? I was—I think it was a challenge around memory mm-hmm. and whether I could actually do this. Okay. And every time I thought I cannot do this, I thought, "But Louise Bourgeois would say, but you can.'" Oh, and um, and then uh, not only learning it, uh, learning this unbelievably dense text, but also then knowing that I had to do it in a, a, a French accent. Oh, and, right. That's um, an additional challenge, That's I'm sure. an additional challenge. Do you challenge. speak French? I do not speak French. Wow. But I worked with a lovely man who um, coached me with the English in a French accent and then very particular words we I wanted to say in French. Mm-hmm. And those words I've incorporated into the text, like words like existentialiste. Oh, yes. And they're English words that actually come from French. Right, right. So, you know, it would make sense that I say those words in French. I hope but you're going to demonstrate a bit for us a little later. I, when will, you... I will be very happy to. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll come to that in a <laughs> moment. I can get into it at any moment. But, well, I'm going to challenge you on that shortly. Okay. But um, we need to take a piece of music because you yes. were going to read us something as well. Yes. But let's do that after our first piece of music. Okay. Um, and you've chosen, I see... Maria Callas singing Visidarte from Tosca. And yes. I'm going to say why, but yet we know why, because she's such a phenomenal artist. Well, um, the play starts with this incredible image of um, I'm actually, I creep on in a black art, and the lights come up on this piece of um, this aria, um, Visidarte, and I am painting with a blood red, very wet paint on the back wall of the stage, a gigantic spiral, which was symbolic of Louise Bourgeois' work. Uh She worked with this spiral. The spiral was sort of, and that's what's explored in the work. Mm -hmm. But I am painting it from the outside, moving in. So it's a huge, big painting to her singing 
um, these extraordinary words. And I'm very happy to talk about the translation of the Yes, the because it's all about the love of art, isn't it's it? It's the she love of art. She sings it too. Yes. Uh, about the love of art and the how love she's of made art to and, that, and that, in, in, in a sense, you know, that's the, that's the sacrifice. Um, the love of art, the love of the lover, the love of everything that is passionate and red. And with that love comes an ache. And in a strange way comes an aloneness. And that in the end, you walk off on your own anyway. So that placement of engaging with an art practice is a deeply alone journey. Okay, let's listen then to Maria Callas. glorious voice of Maria Callas and that aria visitarte 
from Tosca, Puccini's Tosca, which incidentally we'll be seeing the opera here at Artscape um, during October, I think it is. Oh, that's um, So that's going to be wonderful. And it was the first choice of my guest, Sue Pam Grant, who's talking about her one-woman play, Why Do Moths Fly Like Crazy, dot, 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 in the night. Now, um, you were, Pam, going to read Sue and get mixed up between Pam. Actually, do you know what I want you to do mm. before we go any further? You were telling me um, about your name, which sort of fascinated me because mm. it's easy to call you Pam mm. rather than Sue somehow. Mm. But your name is Sue Pam mm. Grant. Mm. But there's a link to Lithuania and all sorts of things there, isn't there, with a Pam? Yes. Not I, Pamela. No, 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 not at all. My surname, my name is Susan Pam. That was my maiden name. Pam is my surname, my father's name. Um, my grandfather was Moses Pam, P-A-M with one M. Although my uncle, um, for some reason, I think at the time that he was born, he got a double M. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy between the double M Pam and the single Pam, but Did we are... Was yeah. it pronounced like that, Pam, or was it Pam? It was always pronounced in my lifetime in South Africa, Pam, as far mm-hmm. as I knew. But when I, you know, when I investigated our, our family tree and our history, it comes from, um, it's Lithuanian. Uh-huh. And apparently it was given to somebody, it's a title, like professor, but it's a title for somebody who is um, a leader in the community. And my grandfather, who I never met, sadly, Moses Pam, because I'm from a family of seven, okay. and I'm the seventh. Okay. Um, um, so by the time I arrived, he had long gone. But he arrived here in, I think, around, the, around 1904, lived in District 6, and he was one of the first Hebrew teachers in Cape Town. Um, and then eventually he moved into Ranyazicht, kind of um, opposite that little park in Ranyazicht. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, my father and um, his family were always in the arts. My father was a writer, Michael Pam, the poet, and um, my uncle was a critic. And my um, darling, late beloved um, cousin was Phyllis Spira. Oh, really? You write it to Phyllis? Yes, Good heavens. yes. And where does the grant come from? The grant is my married name. I am married to my husband, whose name is DJ Grant. Okay. I call him Deej. Deej. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so that solved that problem. <laughs> but I was trying to remember to call you Sue. <clears throat> yes. Pam Grant, fine. Sue. You were going to read us just now a kind of artist's um, description of of this play to give us some sort of understanding because you said it was a rather complex thing to talk about. Right. Um, So, you know, um, an artist statement is always um, required when you open an exhibition Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, an author's note in a program. But because this work really crosses over and intersects two disciplines in particular, and actually a third discipline, and I will, tell, um, I will say what they are. It's the visual arts, it's theater, um, and it's psychoanalysis. Okay. So it okay. is what one would call an interdisciplinary work. Okay. And, um, and I would call it an interdisciplinary encounter because it's, it's more than just a play. Right. But it is a written piece. It's got a text, and I had to learn it. So this is my little um, artist statement, just putting the work into context for a viewer who is coming to engage with this work. 
it starts with a quote of Louise Bourgeois, reinterpreted by me. And this was a quote that started off my thesis, which um, looked at her work as well. Um, Art is the guarantee of sanity, is her quote. Um, it's a very famous quote. She said it in 1991. And I have reinterpreted that with art is the guarantee of brackets um, in close brackets sanity. And then I say represented, also the re in brackets, represented by myself, SPG. So she's LB, I'm SPG. And basically what this is about is a strange um, conversation between the two of us, mm-hmm. even though um, she's not she's, there, she's not there yeah. but and we, no one is playing her. You're on. on your I, I am. I am channeling her, and I am in conversation with her. I'd, I'd, I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. So uh, I say this reimagined portrait, in the form of a spoken drawing, is a homage to the French vanguard artist Louise Bourgeois, 1911 to 2010. She lived for 98 years, most, most often associated with her famous steel and marble spider sculpture called Mamo. Bourgeois, at the age of 70, exploded, eclipsed, and changed the landscape of the male-dominated contemporary art world with her brave, tenacious, raw, provocative, fuel-injected subjecthood and psychoanalytic commentary on the imperfect experience of the human condition. Wow, gosh. So that is what this work is about. Okay. Is looking at the imperfect experience of the human condition. Did Bourgeois write at all or did she write plays? Bourgeois did not write plays. I'm going to her accent. (laughs) Um, um, She wrote prolifically Mm-hmm. Um, through her um, her her life, yeah. she started in. Um, she always had diaries, notebooks. It was a huge part of her practice. She wrote into her work, out of her work. For ten years, she was in. Um, she was in psychoanalysis for thirty three years. Wow! With one therapist, um, with one psychoanalyst, and um, she hit a very deep depression in. Um, just after her father and her husband had died, and she stopped making visual art for 10 years. But she was writing all the time. And only very, very recently was her writing recognized as her drawing practice. And this is what I talk about in my thesis um, that I, um, yeah, my, my MA, and also what I talk about in this piece is that the interdisciplinary art-making practice that both embody, um, that I embody and that she embodied runs right across all the disciplines. It's performative. It's all about engaging the, um, the ex- with the visceral experience of the work. So I talk about her being an artist that embodies um, the drawing, almost stepping inside the drawing. So her writing, I've always seen as being part of her drawing practice. Just the fact that it's writing does not mean to say it's not a drawing. Right, that's interesting. And vice versa, I presume. And, and vice versa, of course. Let's take a little pause while we try and digest that. I see I what know, you mean about complex. It's, it's dense. Um, 
We've got Maria Callas again this time, that final, the tomb scene from mm. Aida, which is so tragically sad. Tragically sad, very moving. It is the last thing we hear as um, this artist in this piece Opera. that I make. Um, she moves from one sphere into another sphere with this music. So it kind of stepping into that space of grace. It's very sad.
that incredibly moving, touching, poignant ending of the grand opera Aida with the two leading characters left in a tomb to die. And there we heard Maria Cullis, and it was another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Sue Pam Grant, whose new play is about to premiere at the Baxter in this August. And it runs, in fact, it's already open and it runs to the 26th of August at the Baxter's Masamba Theatre. And Sue, while we're talking about Masamba Theatre, I just want to, there's a quote here that I really liked mm. that you might be able to help clarify mm. for mm. me. The Baxter's Masamba Theatre will be transformed into a poetic liminal space, mm. blurring the boundaries between gallery, theatre and artist studio as the audience voyeuristically observe the artist wrestling with her work, life and personal demons. That's quite an experience in the theatre, isn't it? For that us? is a very unique um, experience. Um, very different from entering into a theatre where you would move to your seat and then watch something. Mm -hmm. So, at the basis of both Louise Bourgeois' work and my work as an artist, as an interdisciplinary artist, I want my public, my viewer, to engage and step inside the work as opposed to sit on the outside because mm -hmm. it's a totally different experience. How are you going to get them to do that? So the set or the stage has been transformed into um, an installation. You could call it um, an assemblage, an uh, installation of drawing, of painting, of, of the artist's studio, mm -hmm. which in itself is a white box as opposed to a black box being a theater space. So we are blurring those lines between those two disciplines, the art space, the white box space, the gallery space, with the black box space, the theater space. And I'm saying that we need to wake up and we need to cross disciplines. It's too, it's, and <laughs> believe it or not, even my experience now with you know, myself being a, a cross-disciplinary, transdisciplinary artist, it's a very lonely space because people are not comfortable in the space, in the liminal space, the space of the in-between. Is that what liminal means? It is. It, it, does, the, it does mean that. It means the space between, mm -hmm. between a categorized space. Mm -hmm. And it actually is the space where women artists work because it's not in some kind of um, uh, department. It, 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 it doesn't have the classification. And it, um, from a feminist point of view, it is the space where women's art is now placed, mm -hmm. the space of the in-between. And um, so the theatre is now um, a kind of studio, and, um, and I don't want to spoil a surprise, but... Um, you engage, the audience engages with it in a very different way from a real ex theatre experience. We shouldn't be scared, should we? Definitely not scared. <laughs> Open-hearted um, to the experience of something new. Will this play uh, also appeal to men? Of course it will. Oh, good. Absolutely. I mean, um, Louise, not Louise Bourgeois, but um, the character, the artist, um, it's all about her relationship with four very particular men in her life, in her journey towards leaving that okay. night. Okay. Yeah. And so when people come to see this play, they are going to be, by the sound of things, they're going to be challenged quite a lot 
Um, yes, they're going to be maybe uncomfortable for a little bit. Yes, and um, and that's a good place to be because you know we um, I think also South African audiences are just too lazy. They are lackadaisical. They want things put in their laps, and they want to. Um, they do not want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And I, as an artist. I say no to that. I will not allow my work <laughs> not to be challenging. Challenging. Yeah. She said, using her arms and making it and very emphatic. Yes, the my work theater, is provocative, and that's why that title is out there. This theatre at the Baxter, the Masamba Theatre, mm. that's, that, it's quite a, um, a small theatre. It's a very small, intimate theatre right in the very bowels of the big Baxter mm-hmm. um, um, building. And um, it's got a beautiful dressing room space that I discovered and that has become part of the actual production. Okay. Um, and I, was, I'm, I actually could live there. I've already taken my linen <laughs> and there's a bed and you'll see I live there. Okay. Outside of the studio space. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, it's getting more and more intriguing mm. as we go along. Mm. And things like um, you, you mentioned that the set was very, uh, was an installation mm. as opposed to a painted yes. sort of backing. And when you come on with this red paint, are you actually painting? Oh, yes. I have made um, 220 paintings for this piece of um, this piece that we, we've made, um, 220 drawings, each one a drawing in itself. Mm-hmm. It's a painting. Um, and that is a, a series of drawings that I have called in this work called the Landscape of the Night Drawings, Insomnia Drawings. Mm-hmm. Louise Bourgeois made a series, also 220. That's why I made the 220. They're all in red, by the way. Uh, the only color I use on um, in this production is just red mm-hmm. various various tones of red um, and understanding those tones and what yeah, they mean yeah. um, but she made a series also a very significant series in her life called the insomnia drawings because she could not sleep and she was tormented at night and she made a lot of her work at night you mentioned that she was in therapy with the same therapist for mm. 33 years mm. was why was there something? <laughs> okay, I'm say something good, good question. Now. Was there something wrong with her? Okay, so a very good question. So this is actually the basis of the work, mm-hmm. and the basis of the work is this provocation, this question: Do we, as artists, want to be fixed or not fixed in our um, psychology, in our workings? And Louise Bourgeois needed to be in psychoanalysis, and psychoanalysis is sometimes five times a week yes and very Um, intense very intense it's a Mm self-provocation it's a self-reflexive practice of provoking the self in order to get to the very early almost pre-verbal memories of trauma of childhood and this was her material this was her content. This is what she made her life's work from, her biography, her autobiography, her narrative. She has a, a line in the play, which is a very poignant line. I don't know if it's her line or if it's my line because they've all merged mm-hmm. at this point. But the line is, nobody can tell my story. Nobody but me has experienced my story. 
And there's a very beautiful thing that she says, the subject of the artist are her memories, her lived experience, and her unique narrative that belongs to her. This is something that I feel very deeply about. We all have our stories, but up to a certain point in contemporary art, it was not deemed to be okay to tell your story. It was too personal, too hysterical, too female, all that nonsense. Mm -hmm. So now it's about taking ownership of the subjecthood. And she had to be in psychoanalysis. It was her fuel, her desire. And she says to her analyst, I do not want you to fix me, Henri. Because this broken is me. allows me to breathe, desire, not breathe, and die. Gosh, so your French accent <laughs> sounds very convincing, I have to say. Let's pause for another piece of music, the first movement of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata mm. with uh, Otto Rubinstein. Mm. Well, I grew up with, um, in a, as I say, in a very artistic um, home with my father being a poet and a great lover of every bit of classical music that you could ever could imagine and my mother played the piano we had a grand a mini grand my connection to my mother is through the piano mm -hmm. and i do not even know why i chose this piece other than it connects me to my mama okay so it's not in the play it's no, a personal connection no to your it's mama. a very deep connection to my mama
Well, there's something evocative. The first movement of Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. 14, which has acquired the nickname the Moonlight Sonata because of that first movement and played by Arthur Rubinstein. Mm-hmm. And it was another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Sue Pam Grant. We're talking about her play, Why Do Moths Fly Like Crazy? Dot, dot, dots in the Night, uh, which is on at the Baxter Masamba Theatre until uh, the 26th of August. Um, but you did a bit of your French accent there. And I, at the beginning of the show, I asked you if you speak French and you said no. So I suppose one can learn to do an accent as you obviously have. Well, um, this was a very interesting thing for me because um, when I wrote it, I wrote it with a French accent. So when I wrote it, I never, ever read it back to myself. It was just, a, it was like a channeling mm-hmm. of, a, um, of words that came onto the paper. Obviously, I'd done a lot of research. Well, you must have, now, yes. Of course, and have been for years. Mm-hmm. But Have um, you ever met Louis Bourgeois, by the way? Louise Bourgeois, I have not met her. I bet you um, would have loved to have met her. I you? would have loved to have met her, and I have met her. I have ah. and I haven't. I, I have met her. I understand. Um, in fact, I'd like to tell you about a little quote um william kendridge's wife Anne stanwicks um they had come to see my my final um show for my masters um which was in joburg and um Anne quietly came up to me afterwards she's a big louise bourgeois fan and she said i wonder if louise bourgeois knew that she had a daughter Louise Bourgeois had three sons, um, and that was not a surprise to me. I feel very connected, deeply connected, as if we have met, uh, or whether we, we might even still meet. We will meet. We've met. Um, it's that thing called the irrealis moods, where you're not sure whether you've met or not met, but we have merged, and I have been given this task. And maybe that's why, because of that connection with her, that it's easy for you to learn the accent. Well, the accent felt to me like, at the beginning, I thought, oh, well, I just, you know, I have to do the accent because I've listened to her so often. But when I actually started learning the accent, I realized it was like learning an entire score onto 20 pages of words, 6,000 words in this work, Um, and then... You know, every single word has its own intonation. It's a totally different sound to a a straight South African accent or a straight English accent. It has a different score, a sound. Mm. And so I realized, okay, this is a a score that I need to learn. Like a music score. A music score that I need to learn, line by line by line by line. And then, you know, deciding, well, those words I will actually choose to say them in French, they need to be said in French, then learn those in French. As I said, I was working with a um, a French speaker um, who would come to my studio and I would put him down in front of me and say, listen to this, Gregory, listen to this. <laughs> and he would say, Susie, you know, okay, stop there. You haven't got that right. You haven't got that right yet. And then, of course, I realized that the THs are dropped, you know, the R's are said in a completely different way. The mm. whole space of the mouth is completely different. And we started a very interesting relationship because I um, would, he would leave and then I would still have words that I needed to know how to pronounce them 
in English, but with a French accent. So I would send him a message, and then he would send me a voice note. Ah, yes, right. And it was with a the great, pronunciation. With the there pronunciation, there. either in French and English, mm-hmm. and I had a choice of those two. So I would always go back. Then I would write those words phonetically into my script, learn it with those with that image, existentialist was like e double e g g z i you know <laughs> but that only you would understand that only and then there's a challenge i actually have to write that word onto the wall in red paint in english existentialist you try and write that <laughs> at the same time as saying it's, it's like French. doing this, you know? Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <clears throat> it sounds as though you've mastered it because what I found in the course of this interview and even speaking to you beforehand, you easily lapse into your French lang- uh, yes. accent. <clears throat> well, I just feel like um, I can't even talk about this work. I can't even talk about Louise Bourgeois without going into her voice. Um, it's just a, an incredible sort of merging and channel, channeling of um, of her. Mm-hmm. She she visits me, and I then have to take her onto stage, <laughs> right? Good and and give her the voice that she needs to be, and bring her work to so many people who've never heard of her or have never known about her work, which is astounding and astonishing to me. But. So what? I mean, lots of people do not have never heard of Louise Bourgeois. Well, there you go. And I hadn't. May I confess? It's I a, hadn't. It's so fine. Mm-hmm. About 90% of people here would not have heard of her. Um, unless you are, you know, definitely inside the art world and you know your art history. Yeah. Um, if you don't, then you would not know of her. So can you do do... Do accents? I mean, you've had a long career in the theatre, yeah. But I mean, I'm shocking at accents. Oh, you really down look at how good you oh are with God. this French. Yeah, I think it's just because I'm so connected yes. to this, to the to serving this creation mm-hmm. that I was so determined to get it um, authentically right. Because really, if there was a weakness in my performance, a skills mm-hmm. as an actor. It's accents. I cannot get them. And so maybe there was some kind of challenge, my own personal challenge, to get this to where I really firmly believed it needed to be. I had to conquer right. this, no, that, this that voice. perfect sense. Yeah. Let me tell you, or let me ask you, I should mm. say, we've spoken a lot about the um, complexity mm. and the… Um, Dense, complex. The dense and all that of mm. this play. Mm. So a sort of naive question, are people going to enjoy it? Well, we've had um, four shows already. Sadly, last night was cancelled due to the what's going on, and tonight is also cancelled due to what's going on currently. But we've had extraordinary responses, but mind-blowing responses from um, all sorts of different people. We had a night where the psychoanalysts came and they were completely and utterly blown away. Um, um, uh, I know um, artists who've come, I know theater people who've come who are completely, um, all I can say is blown away. Oh, good for um, you. That the experience is um, transformative and something that is so uplifting Mm -hmm. uh, because you enter into so many of the moods and atmospheres of this woman and levels and levels and it's so visceral and um you really are you really go on a 
on an extraordinary journey where art is at, um, and I talk about art as a, a language that holds theater, writing, visual art. I'm talking about Everything that kind art, of art, yes. philosophy of art, that you are opened to that. Mm-hmm. And it's a very moving experience if you wish to go on it. But now, you said it was 6,000 words. Is it, do you have, is it a two-act play? Is it a one-act play? It's a one-act. It's one, one it's a one thing. <laughs> it's a one thing. For and the, how long is this thing? This thing is, I think it goes from, I think, um, Freddie doesn't want to ever tell me the exact timing. I think it's about an hour and 15 minutes, oh, like awesome. 75 minutes. Yeah. So you've, you've packed a lot in there if it's only an hour yeah. and... Yeah, uh, 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 an hour and 15. Yeah. And when you come off stage, you feel exhausted. Exhausted mm-hmm. beyond. Emotionally, I'm sure. Mostly. Very draining, uh, very emotionally go through it. Because the one thing, that again, that was um, particular to her was she, she moved from child, early child from like five years old to 98 years old in the matter of a second. Wow. So she might have been interviewed and in that moment she would just start crying as a five-year-old and then she'd move to her whatever oh age she goodness. was like 70 and I'm, and i'm playing that i sort of have that um ability to move into those f- good spaces you. myself yeah. um i must look into louise bourgeois <clears throat> but seeing the play i presume will teach me a lot about that yes and um will interest you we're going to you've, well you fascinated me now because it really sounds you know at first, I thought, "Oh, this sounds very complicated," but now I'm all mm. intrigued, yes, and also with the beautiful. passion that you are displaying mm. about this woman and about the piece. So, mm. what it's on earth are you going to do afterwards? And you've got such a good director with Fred. I know. Fred Abrams, it's been such a beautiful process working with Fred. It's been such a collaboration, such a harmonious coming together. We both are alumni from oh, UCT, right, right. and. Um, and we worked on Scafe, which was my other cousin from my mother's science play, Robin Leverton. Um, together was my first production when I had just left drama school. So we've done a, and he directed another production that I was in of Robin's. We've done a, a very big circle coming back to meet mm-hmm. as makers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a very intimate process just the two of us because poor Fred had to just witness me every day for three weeks with this work. Mm-hmm. Not a single other body in sight <laughs> that he could get some relief. Oh but my. he was amazing. Well I feel like some relief now. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> sure teasing I'm teasing Sue. <laughs> it's a fascinating story and thank you for sharing mm. it with us. Now we must go and see it. So yes. we have to end there now. Let me just tell you that it's called why do moths fly like crazy dot dot dots in the night? Mm. And it runs at the Baxter Masamba Theatre until the 26th of August. And what is your last piece of music? Sue? So my last piece of music is um, Ludovico. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname. Ainaudi Ludovico. Yes. Ainaudi Ludovico. Yes. Or Ludovico Ainaudi. Yeah, Ludovico Ainaudi. Ainaudi. Seven Days of Walking, and the track is called A Sense of Symmetry. And I think um, I worked with his music and his um, his Seven Days of Walking with the work that I made two years ago, um, a performance piece that I did, another crazy, insane work, which was a 
seven hour and 38 minute piece. Um, yeah, people could come and sleep in and watch it if they wanted to. <laughs> okay. And um, and I was just, uh, uh, and I discovered him at that time, and okay. I was completely moved by his. So um, that's going to be the music that piece. we end this yes. week's edition. And of it's a very meditative it. piece of. Oh, um, As I said, you know, Sue, thanks for sharing some. Deep thoughts about this fascinating-sounding play. Sue Pam Grant, as I say, her play is running at the Baxter Masamba Theatre until the 26th of August. Thank you, Sue. Oh, Rodney, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. One hundred one point three FM. This is Fine Music Radio.